0: The following content is brought to you by Andy Beach, Paul Boyer, Will Harris, and The Lonely Now. gentlemen it's your old pal Justin Robert Young here joining you on June 10th 2020 for the politics 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 show got a lot to cover here today we are going to vet Keisha Lance Bottoms she is the newest in the names for the Biden veep stakes we are going to have an interview about how the press has covered not only the coronavirus, but the protests and the now emerging, reemerging campaign. We get a little bit into, in, into strategy during our interview today. And we are finally going to get to your emails. We've got so many emails. I was going to do it a week ago. Obviously, that episode was dedicated to something a little bit more serious for which that would not be appropriate. And then we had the feedback from the cops that we read the next episode, we will finally get to it today. But first, we discuss the ever-evolving political front of police reform. We spoke about this last week in depth. We have a few things that we want to cover right off the top. Number one, there is action. In Congress, the Democrats coming out on Monday, debuting the fact that they have a sweeping police reform bill. And boy, did Pelosi and Schumer just Pelosi and Schumer all over the announcement. They came out in kente cloth. They kneeled for eight minutes uh, or the exact amount of time that The uh, uh, cop kneeled on George Floyd's neck. It was performative, he said, witheringly. But there is a lot in it. It is the Justice in Policing Act. It has over 200 Democratic co-sponsors in the House and Senate as of now. It would create a national database on use of force. It would... Seek to repeal qualified immunity. Those were the two things that we spoke about last week. And it would make lynching a federal hate crime. And in a fairly encouraging sign that there will likely be some kind of bipartisan deal struck, it looks like the Republicans are making their own police reform bill. Of course, nothing happens in The Senate at all, but certainly with the Republicans without cocaine Mitch saying so. And here are the quotes from Mitch McConnell. I think it's important to have a response. None of us have had the experience of being an African-American in this country and dealing with this discrimination, which persists here some 50 years after the 1964 civil rights bill and the 1965 civil rights bill. We are still wrestling with America's original sin. We've we, we try to get better every time and then it's perfectly clear that we're still a long way away from the finish line. I think the best way for Senate Republicans to go forward on this is to listen to one of our own who's had these experiences. The one of their own he's talking about is Senator Tim Scott. He is the only African-American Republican in the Senate, and he is now leading a working group of GOP senators to figure out their own legislation. Here is what's rumored to be a part of it already. A proposal to review no-knock warrants, that's what was used in the death of Brianna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, funding for more body cameras, and an agreement on the anti-lynching legislation. This is encouraging to see that there is bipartisan progress, and if Mitch McConnell is talking about how we as a Congress need to wrestle with America's original sin— then that's probably a good sign that something will get done. And let me take a pause for the cause and say that's good, very good in an election year. Bipartisan legislation in an election year very rarely happens. And when it does, it is very rarely of consequence. If we could get consequential bipartisan action, that is important. But ultimately, that has to go on President Donald Trump's desk, and he is up for re-election himself, which means all of this takes on an added dimension. Enter Joe Biden. The latest political element of this is the furor around the concept of defund the police. This has been a rallying cry for not only the organizers of Black Lives Matter, but many of the most passionate protesters who have been out on the streets over the last two weeks. The idea of defund the police is, I think, probably more nuanced than some people will think of it. We talked about it on the PX3 Extra, but I'll give you the 10 peso version here. Some suggest that defund the police means a review of what the police should be doing and the appropriate funds to let them do it. Now, there are many, and I do not want to silence their voice, on the progressive left that want it to mean exactly what you think it will mean. Defund the police. Take away their money. Every penny. Rip out the police department root and stem. It is a vile organization that needs to be replaced From the ground up. Joe Biden does not want you to believe that that is where he's at. So he distanced himself from the phrase defund the police on Monday. And today, on Wednesday, he went even further. Quote Big Joe in a USA Today column. While I do not believe federal dollars should go to police departments that are violating people's rights or turning to violence as a first resort, I do not support defunding the police. The better answer is to give police departments the resources they need to implement meaningful reforms. That's why I'm proposing an additional $300 million to reinvigorate community policing in our country. End quote. Understand what this means. Joe Biden says no to defund the police. He says, I want to give the police more money. And understand where politically that puts him. Donald Trump is going to have a decision on whether or not he is going to sign bipartisan police reform legislation. That is not historically looked at As law and order. That is looked at as progressivism. Joe Biden is out here saying, I would like to give the police more money. That means right now on this issue, Joe Biden is daring Donald Trump to go left of him on police. He is saying to Donald Trump, I dare you to sign that legislation because I will be the law and order candidate and you will not. It also shows to me how little Joe Biden is banking on the progressive vote. He is all in on the Rust Belt. He is all in on the the voters that Trump energized in 2016 In Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania. That's the only way that I could see him not taking the hardliner, we need to reform the police argument. Like, that is a lane that is carved out for him. The people that are out there marching in the streets, by and large, are furious with Donald Trump. You could be their champion. He is deciding Not to be. Now, the other vector here is how much Donald Trump really wants to eat in to the bedrock black vote that always goes Democrat. You know, Donald Trump's never going to win the black vote. But specifically in states like Michigan... Black voters staying home or black voters not turning out or black voters voting in marginally higher percentages than they normally do for Republicans can tilt the scales in a tight election. And it has been my observation that Donald Trump, more than most Republican candidates, has catered to that black vote. He is trying, or at least has been. If you remember, somewhere between 17 years ago and five months ago, there was a Super Bowl played between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. In that Super Bowl, two ads ran from Donald Trump. Both of them highlighted his record with Black America. Here was the first, which centered all around Donald Trump's economic record. Unemployment rate sinking to a 49-year low. Unemployment for African-Americans, it fell to a new low. Unemployment for Hispanics hit an all-time record low. And ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. I'm Donald J. Trump and I approve this message. Now, remember, these ads are very expensive and you have to be very deliberate with what you say. I do not think it was by accident that he wanted to highlight black and Hispanic unemployment. And if you have any doubt about his desire to market himself to the black community, here was the second ad that he ran. It was a hundred percent about criminal justice reform. It focused entirely on Alice Johnson, a non-violent drug offender who was spending the rest of her life in prison until she got out thanks to this criminal justice reform that Trump passed. This is the ad that ran.
1: I'm free to hug my family. I'm free to start over. This is the greatest day of my life. My heart is just bursting with gratitude. I want to thank President Donald John Trump. Woo! Thank you, thank you,
2: thank you. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message.
0: But that was then, and this is now. We are in a far different landscape than we were at the beginning of February. And Trump's got to figure out exactly how much of that groundwork he wanted to lay with black voters is now something he wants to follow through on. While Trump has had nothing but positive things to say about George Floyd, he seized on the push to defund the police. Well, Biden now says he wants to give 300 million to the police. And Trump's got to decide whether or not he is going to be okay going to the left on that. Folks, Aside from the coronavirus, these decisions might be the most consequential issues going into November. I mean, or not. Probably not, right? It probably isn't. It's probably not. Just kidding. They're probably not going to be the issues that are going to be the most important in December because it's 2020. It's 2020. We don't know what's going to happen. This will probably get Lev Parnas by Independence Day. Oh, by the way, this is my new thing, and I want you guys to spread it. You can just say an issue is going to be Lev Parnas by Election Day. When someone says who, you just remind them that Lev Parnas was a key figure in the impeachment and the attempt to remove a sitting president. You know, a thing that's so rare, it's only happened... The amount of times in American history that you could count on one hand, if that hand had suffered from a fireworks accident that blew off multiple fingers, you know that super rare process that you have already forgotten details of because you just asked me who when you when I said left Parnas? that one, yeah, left Parnas is a verb now. This is my new thing. Politics. Got some actual election results here for you. Well, we would like to have election results for you. We would we would be thrilled to bring you election results. We don't have election results per se right now because <laughs> Georgia, which was the most watched primary race last night, I had a bit of an oopsie. Uh, here, here's the deal: uh, Democratic primary. The winner of this goes on to face David Perdue of Georgia. The front runner there is John Ossoff. Remember him? Laughing your Ossoff? The most expensive house race in history. This was right after Donald Trump got elected. It was the hashtag resistance. He was going to be the sign that even... Deep red Georgia or the suburbs thereof that have been trending more blue were now ripe. These were now tipping points and he didn't win. But now he's running for Senate and he did well last night. Forty eight point five nine percent of the vote as of when I am recording this at 10 a.m. Problem was that Georgia had massive issues. You had a lot of polling locations that were closed because of covid staffing issues because of covid and new machines that didn't exactly work the way that they were supposed to. That means there are a lot of votes in the metro Atlanta area that are still being counted today as we speak. The issue for Ossoff is he's got to get over 50 percent to avoid a runoff. He'll probably win a runoff even if he can't get over 50, but he can immediately jump to his fight against Purdue if he does. So we will keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, while we were focusing on other important things, Joe Biden has now clinched the Democratic nomination by exceeding the amount of delegates that he needs, so... uh We are officially locked and loaded, at least until the convention when we then officially become locked and loaded. Some other results to get to in Democratic House Primary 3, Hosea Cleveland wins uh, 57 to 42% against her competitor. And the battle for West Virginia's Senate seat will be incumbent Shelley Capito and Democrat Paula Swearengen.
1: I am a mother to four black children in America, one of whom is 18 years old. And when I saw the murder of George Floyd, I hurt like a mother would hurt. And on yesterday when I heard there were rumors about violent protests in Atlanta, I did what a mother would do. I called my son and I said, where are you? I said, I cannot protect you and black boys shouldn't be out today.
0: We continue to do Joe Biden's job for him by vetting through his potential vice presidential options. According to Politico this week, there are two new frontrunners, Val Demings, who we covered last week, and the woman we will be covering today, Keisha Lance Bottoms. She is the mayor of Atlanta and the voice you heard at the beginning of this segment, which came from a stirring speech she gave during the first night of protests and looting because of the murder of George Floyd. Mayor Lance Bottoms is from Atlanta. She was born January 18th, 1970, making her 50 years old. Her father is Major Lance, and the reason why we came in on the song that we did is because that's her dad. That was his his most famous song, um, 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 making him the grandfather to the boys that uh, the mayor spoke about at the beginning of the segment. So, uh, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms went to Frederick Douglass High School in Atlanta, then Florida A&M University, and then the Georgia State University College of Law, graduating in 1994. In 2018, she became mayor of Atlanta, winning a very crowded election coming from the Atlanta City Council, where she represented Southwest Atlanta. It's kind of hard to vet somebody like Keisha Lance Bottoms, mostly because you're going to largely be looking at local issues and you really don't know the vector by which those are going to translate to the national stage. But we do know that she has translated very well on two topics that have come up recently. Lance Bottoms first broke into the mainstream by rebuking her governor, Brian Camp, After he uh, announced that Georgia would be reopening on April of this year from the coronavirus lockdown, this was before the national guidelines said he should and earned Kemp a rebuke from the president. But Lance Bottoms also found her voice on pointing out that COVID-19 was disproportionately affecting the black community. And that was before we got to the speech that brought us into the segment. And let me put it this way. If there is ever a voice that in our current moment is going to be able to very forcefully tell people to go home, you are not honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King, and please respect the police, it's going to be somebody like Keisha Lance Bottoms, because that's exactly what she said.
1: This is not in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. This is chaos. A protest has purpose. When Dr. King was assassinated, we didn't do this to our city. So if you love this city, this city that has had a legacy of black mayors and black police, chiefs and people who care about this city where more than 50% of the business owners in Metro Atlanta are minority business owners. If you care about this city, then go home.
0: I don't know many other people that'd be able to say that and wouldn't be criticized for being tone deaf. She comes from a very unique position of power in our current moment. So let's get into the pros. The pros are black woman among Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris and Val Demings. She's the youngest. Remember, youth will play a factor in a lot of people's minds. And she obviously has rhetorical talents that are fitting of the moment. One more thing. She's loyal. While half the other people on this list uh, were either actively running against Joe Biden Keisha Lance Bottoms endorsed Biden early and has been on the trail through the primaries even when things were bad. You got to imagine that that's the reason why her name is getting mentioned. Even if she really doesn't have a shot, they want to reward the people that were loyal. Cons, this is a big gamble. Remember that Sarah Palin was the most popular governor in America before she hit the hot lights of a national presidential campaign. Now, Keisha Lance Bottoms isn't going to get the same scrutiny that Sarah Palin did, but she will be in a position where every single one of her flaws are magnified. When she gets to D.C., she's not going to have a whole lot of experience about getting things through Congress, and it seems like Joe Biden really... Values that, since that was his worth when he was vice president. And then there's the undefined, let's call it in the Rumsfeldian sense, the known unknowns. I didn't really have enough here to put this on Keisha Lance Bottoms' resume, but city politics are city politics. Keisha Lance Bottoms has had to apologize for how she paid her staff. Her predecessor, Kasim Reed, had similar issues of protectionism and giving certain bids and contracts to friends. There's insider dealing issues in any major structure like the city government of Atlanta. However, when you have a compressed time frame, and the explosive, cartoonish level that the media will describe things, something that isn't understandable to the populace already is inherently a possible liability. So as much as a blank slate can help a candidate, finding the one speck of dust on that slate can then become something far bigger in a presidential race. Holy crap, guys. We are, we're marching. We're marching forward. We're marching forward. Damn near 930 patrons on the march to 1,000 for PX3. You can be a part of it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. At the $3 level, you get two bonus episodes. A bonus episode comes to you on Monday. A bonus episode comes to you on Thursday with our brand new logo. We got new logos for the main feed and the, uh, the, the, the extra feed, the $3 feed. Very happy about that. We might have a little uh, little special guest. Little special guest for you guys on Thursday's episode of the $3 Club. My mom. Oh, my mom wants to talk to me about mail-in ballots. I have no idea what this is going to be about. My mom was like, I want to talk to you about mail-in ballots. I'm like, all right, we're doing it on the show. He's like, no, I don't know enough about it. And I'm like, that's the point. I probably know more than you. We can just talk about it. So, since I have no framework for this, it's going to go out to the patrons at the $3 level. If you want to hear it, head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Get your custom RSS feed. You never have to log in again. Just put it into your podcatcher, and it'll update as soon as it goes live on Thursday. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Our guest today is an associate professor at the Department of Communication and Journalism in the University of Maine. He's also a media historian who frequently writes about politics in the press. And next month, he will become the director of the University of Maine Humanities Center. Welcome back to the program, Michael Sokolow. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks. Good to be here. All right. Uh, uh, you, you know, it's it's like inbred within me as somebody who went to journalism school that uh, I always wind up doing what the media loves to do the most, which is talk about the media. So uh, uh, we have uh, the, the protests obviously are right now a major issue. And our lens for that is, uh, I mean, very very important and worth looking at right now from your perspective how has the media handled these protests so far
2: um wow the the actual protests themselves i think they've done a decent job the larger and bigger issues involving racism and involving the structure of the work they do uh not quite as well (laughs) (laughs) the, the larger framing but as to the actual you know on the streets and 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 presenting the people actually marching visually through imagery and framing their argument, I think they've done a decent job.
0: Now, let's go back to what you mentioned before, uh, of the the role in the media in framing a lot of the issues that have people outside marching. Right. That's a
2: much um, bigger question. And that's the one that's being debated largely right now about the role of the journalist. You know, is the journalist supposed to be the objective, neutral, independent reporter of, of uh, verified fact, or are they actually supposed to be an activist? Are they there to expose injustice and to throw away the idea of objectivity and to embrace subjectivity, to embrace you know the lived experience and report back on that? That's that's just been a huge uh, source of tension and clash right now, and I, I'm not sure journalists themselves really know. Well, some have made you know overt statements about this but as a community, I'm not sure uh, journalists are ready to really kind of get a communal sense of it yet.
0: All right. Let's, let's, let's interrogate that a little bit because to me, there are a few animating factors in there and, and one has kind of a, a long time coming and the other is sort of a, of the moment issue. The long time coming one is just that media has rapidly changed over the last 20 years, even. Uh, and, The idea that, you know, a a pillar of funding for a major element of the media in newspaper printing, now an albatross, if not eroding, you know, dissolving like a character at the end of an Avengers movie right before our very eyes. You've had the rise and fall of blogs, that blogs in the early aughts were going to be the thing that replaced newspapers, and now a lot of those conglomerates have uh, fallen and are on hard times. The, the the thing in the moment is more just an economic downturn and what that means in terms of organizations shedding jobs. But uh, how much of those two issues do you think is leading to so much chaos and questioning from the media itself on exactly what they are supposed to be?
2: I think it's a, absolutely a tremendous amount. I think when you go from an advertising-based of, of mass advertising and mass circulation where it really doesn't matter what any particular purchaser or subscriber to your paper thinks. You know, you can get a Republican subscribing to a Democratic paper or vice versa simply because of, of the mass advertisers are the only people you have to please. You have a level of freedom and independence. When you switch from that to subscribers, and let's be clear, the, the subscription base of something like the New York Times today, the revenue has now outpaced the advertising and and this is true in a lot of places and subscribers are uh, much more sensitive to being challenged on what they believe and how they want their news formatted in certain ways and this isn't new you know we know this going back to the early republic when that's why around America you have newspapers called the such-and-such Such Democrat the Foster's Daily Democrat in New Hampshire or the Republican news leader or named after political parties because before mass advertising provided journalists with freedom, uh, that's how the news was constructed. And I think we're headed back that way.
0: <laughs> I think so. Although it is funny to think about it, that really it was it was the auto dealerships buying massive circulars that uh, kept uh, uh, journalism in a place of being able to objectively swing from one position to another, right?
2: But Sort of, I mean, but you have to go back when Ralph Nader did his auto safety thing. You know, nobody would publish him. Exactly. He eventually, got it, but because the auto dealers didn't want it. So, I'm not saying it's a better or a worse system. I'm saying it's a different sensibility. But yeah.
0: Uh, and then, and then now, you know, we're in a place where you know, before everything totally went haywire and the only thing, uh, the stuff that I thought was going to be the top news story of the year was, you know, an election that was being paid (laughs) close attention to. I was out there on the trail, you know, independently for this podcast and I was hanging out with a bunch of people, half of which of like that little bar crew now no longer has a job because we're in an economic downturn and uh, advertising not only in the physical mediums, but also now on the online mediums are starting to erode. Do you think that this brings us more to a place of specialized media that is there for one side of the road or the other?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, you have to satisfy uh, the people who are paying the bill, essentially. And and let's be clear about something. What you described, it's massive. The cuts that are going through journalism right now are massive and they're structural and they're bigger. I don't think we're going to see the full influence of them until we get closer to October, November, when the election, the possible second wave and all that stuff happens. And every news organization is half the size it is right now. I think we're in it right now. The firings and all that stuff has just happened. I think we're six months to a year away from really feeling it.
0: I mean, that's that. I uh, I only make mention of the people that are on the trail because like, this is the time that you hired them for. (laughs) Like, like the reason why you're, these people are on the trail is because this is the story that you want to produce content for that theoretically is going to get the kind of engagement that your advertisers want. And those guys are getting fired. Like that's, (laughs) that's that, that shows dire, like when, when the people that theoretically could be among your highest earners in terms of a absolutely cold advertising reality, standpoint when those guys are going that means that there is not a lot of ham on that bone they are they are making really 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 hard cuts
2: yeah and and you know uh, what you're saying is making me realize that how bizarre is it that we are in a presidential election year you know we're in june so we're what four or five months from the actual vote and campaigning the concept of campaigning isn't in the news it isn't Number one, you know the the candidates are not traveling really. I mean, you know they're doing this like Biden's doing this little thing, and President Trump goes to these stage photo ops. But nothing. It's 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 amazing to me how low on um, the uh, hierarchy the presidential campaign is right now. I mean, it's it's also amazing to me that Joe Biden won the nomination when you go back to January and February and look at the relative media coverage. It shouldn't be amazing. He led all the polls. But I think he's, he is benefiting more than anybody else by this chaos and by the fact that the, the the news has really placed the campaign in a much lower category
0: than it used to be. It certainly was, I mean, from from a political strategy point of view, it, it was much harder. I think it took the option off the table for Bernie Sanders to stay in because in, in a pandemic, it's, it's hard to say I care and love about my people but also everybody go out and vote because we're going to draw this thing out as long as possible. Uh, you know, and and for Biden, yeah, you're right. There's, I, I, I would probably be a little bit more on, on the side and have been on this podcast about saying that there are opportunities he's probably not taking advantage of, but in general, no one's going to really criticize him for it because nobody's doing things normally. Like everybody is sort of in this world of suspended animation. And who knows by the time that we get out of it, whether or, if we get out of it, how much traditional campaigning will even be left right, right, right? but I think
2: what you just described about Biden leaving something on the table in campaigning is sort of fascinating because uh, um you know that's sort of and that's sunk cost. What's the economic term for not maximizing your value? but I think it's pretty clear that that Biden is watching the incumbent fall apart and and I think the people around Biden are doing everything they can to avoid throwing kind of a life raft to them, you know, with some kind of gaff or or something else. I, I actually think they're playing this incredibly shrewdly. I think they're yeah. doing – I, I don't think they're getting enough credit, let's put it that way, for for, playing, for just how shrewdly they're playing this.
0: The only thing that I would say to that is – and. You know, uh, uh, 2020 has uh, you you would not go broke in 2020 saying uh, uh, I'm going to bet on. But wait, there's more. And the thing that you think is the big deal indeed will not be within 48 hours. But let's say theoretically this is the valley. Right. We are, you know, amidst a pandemic and international protests and riots that it does get better then I don't know how shrewd it'll be looked at if there was not more proactive steps taken by Biden to cement this moment where the incumbent is absolutely dissolved. Because if it gets better from here and the economy gets better and, and the second wave either is less than we might have feared or non-existent and things kind of look like they normally look like uh, in in November, which theoretically is... I mean, possible, then I do think that this will look like a a moment where maybe he could have been more out there.
2: Well, he's – I mean, well, then what do you make – I'll that around on you and ask, what do you make of the fact that he's widening the gap with Trump consistently right now? In other words, do you think he could widen the gap even more than he is? He's at – you saw the new CNN poll today. The C- yeah, they, the CNN and the poll, poll. And,
0: and yeah, because uh, I don't know when we're going to run this, but this is on uh, June 8th. There is a new CNN poll that is as generous as has been, uh, or as he's seen so far. That's 14 uh, percent. Real Clear Politics average. Last I looked at, it was about 7.1. Uh, so this is double that. Which, if that is sustainable, if that continues to happen, then yeah, no, that's that's where you would want to see him. When he was more at the 7 percent, uh, which was you know. Before this poll came out today, uh, I I think he could have uh, he could stand to have been more in the double digit lead capacity. And again, if things get better and if the economy gets better and if we look at this as like, well, of course, this was the low point for Trump, then I think a seven point lead is not something that, uh, uh, you know, you would be thrilled about if that starts eroding and you have an incumbent president, which traditionally wins
2: uh, okay so the economic term i'm thinking of is opportunity cost yeah. so in other words you're you're arguing that in this moment uh biden's political talents now see here's where i think you and i disagree a little bit okay biden's political talents are such that he's missing the opportunity to create a a, a insurmountable are you saying insurmountable or, or large enough lead to carry him through to november I'm saying I think he's really at the limits of his political talent, and, <laughs> and I mean not to not to sound harsh, but no, but no, no, I, I hear you. That's why they're that is why they're hiding him, frankly. Yeah, you know he, he he's made these gaffes during the primaries about the dog faced pony soldier yes. or or the grabbing of the um, of women. He's, he's he's thrown his opponents opportunities, and I think that I guess that's where you and I disagree is his political talents and skills. I see the opportunity cost of maximizing by more exposure to be much to be less than what you think
0: well uh, not, not not quite because i am i am quite bearish on biden's political talents and <laughs> and uh, as somebody who is in the room for the lying dog face pony soldier moment uh, uh the, i think the reason why people were so bearish on biden's chances is because many people were looking at him in in person when uh those assumptions were being made even leading up through south carolina uh my issue is more, and this is a, a political strategy thing that I think he could have. He could have had a moment during the coronavirus where, by turning down the politics and by turning up the humanitarian effort, and effectively saying, "From here on out, look, we'll, we'll talk about the votes when the votes happen." Uh, we are now effectively a coronavirus relief charity. Donate here, we will facilitate this. Uh, uh, that would have, considering how poorly Donald Trump handled being the kind of uniter and healer, uh this would have left Biden in a better position than he is now where his strategy was effectively. either don't say anything unless you absolutely have to or when you do say something, make it kind of a political fantasy football of what you would have done and what you should. What what you you would do if you were president right now? I see what you're saying, and and
2: and obviously you're right in one sense, which is you're saying that Biden is not exploiting his greatest strength, which is empathy. Yes, yes. But, but I would but I would also counter that with you've been in the room with Biden, and so have I, and he's a very different person, I think, when, when it comes to the empathy thing, talking about his son and his family,
0: uh, than than the media captures. Yeah. oh, I mean, you, you, I don't know. I, th- I think the media does a pretty good job of, of coming through with stuff like that. I mean, I think that's that's part of I mean, if he does get good press, that's it. The problem is also that he has. There's only so close he can get to his family when he's not talking about Bo that doesn't get him to a thing I think he wants to avoid, which is talking about his other son, Hunter, who is a political live wire.
2: Right, right, and yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it's a, it's a. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question on to on on whether um, yeah, whether basically, because he did do the USA Today op-ed, he did the Los Angeles Times op-ed, and you and you agree that he has really pointed out he's done a pretty good job of pointing out what he would have done differently than Trump.
0: I I think that yes, that is his strategy. I don't know how effective that strategy is. Like right. right now, I think that it's it is empty calories for an element of his base that he didn't need any more help winning over. And I don't know beyond just like, I think to that point, him not talking is better for independents who want an absence of chaos. You know, like when, when I was covering like the, the mayor Pete campaign, the mayor Pete campaign was, was almost totally around this theme of, won't it be cool when you can not worry about politics every day? (laughs) Like that was a uniting theme that he would repeat every, like at multiple points of his stump speech that his surrogates would hammer in was the day after the election. Sure, we're going to have work to do, but a new day will have dawned and you can worry about your kid's soccer team as opposed to freaking out about politics every five seconds uh, because Donald Trump is raising your blood pressure. In that realm, Biden is good not talking. Uh, the question is whether or not that will be enough coming out of this. And that's a question that I think, you know, from from the media's perspective, either in covering it or in analyzing it, I don't know if anybody can know what the gravity is going to be coming out of this time tunnel.
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting you say that because um, – Trump is calling him Sleepy Joe Biden, right? And, and yes. Trump is laying on him as the person who's not here and who's quiet. And I remember the Buttig- Buttigieg stuff was, uh, you know, it, it was a playbook of the no drama Obama because yes. he was surrounded by the Obama people. Yeah. But but um, but you know, the interesting thing about the quietness and 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 the calming down is, let's assume for a second. I'm, I'm not sure I believe this, but let's assume that he needs to, that Biden needs to peel off some of Trump's base. I don't believe he does. I think he can win the presidency and lose 40 percent of the vote, more than 40 percent of Trump's base. But let's assume he has to.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, for a second. How how did Biden do that? Because, well, well, I guess where you and I disagree on this idea of him maximizing his opportunity cost is is I see the risk of going out there and trying to capture some of Trump's base or independents who are leaning against him as higher than him convincing the independents who are totally in the middle, who just don't want the drama to to move over a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess my, my my thought on what he could be doing is less in the realm of he needs to be out there and talking more and more about what he's talking about. That I think that there is a, an opportunity for him to, to totally high road, really even the election, and just say, we're just giving out blue masks to everybody who wants one. We are going to be, you know, uh, taking the money that we have brought in and putting it out into PPE uh, uh, distribution. And uh, uh, that that just demonstrates, shows in actions, leadership on a level that, you know, a, a traditional campaign normally doesn't. And he is a very traditional candidate. Uh, so I, I guess it is on some level unfair that I would... Ask him to kind of radically reshift what he is normally used to doing, and his team is normally used to doing. But I do think these are radical, unprecedented times.
2: Right, but I also think he has a radical and unprecedented opposition who would figure out how to weaponize handing out free masks. <laughs> maybe you know, maybe we're, we're, you know, I'm saying like it, this is this is this is exactly <laughs> I disagree on the level of risk versus risk aversion um you're saying he needs to be da- i mean, i'm not daring because obviously it's humanitarian it's, sure it's, it's it's smart and rational he needs to be humanitarian smart and rational and i guess my argument is the irrational wave that would counter him uh, uh, let me let me ask you a question let me turn okay. it around in this way sure yeah, yeah don't you think that trump don't you think that trump is going to drag him into a ditch during the debates in october in September, really drag him into a ditch.
0: I believe that we are going to see, as as we start to normalize into, you know, whatever the glide path is going to be for this election, I think we are going to see the most no-holds-barred, ugly political advertising that we have seen since, you know, like LBJ and Goldwater. Like since since <laughs> since Dukakis. Like we are if you look at what the Trump campaign has put out now, there is not there is a consistent theme in their television advertising that they end, no matter what the message is about, they end it with Biden being confused or muddled or highlighting a moment where it's very clear that he is not the guy that he was, you know, twelve years ago or or any time before that. Uh and I think that they are going to go hard on that and i think that trump will go hard on that during the debates yes
2: i mean it's, it's there's two sort of different things that i think in political advertising i mean we already know this because donald trump jr has tied has called biden a pedophile right so i mean <laughs> like, like that on social media and that kind of thing that i'm separating out and yes i believe also in the political media, that they are going to tie Biden to the looters, right? They're gonna they're gonna actually figure out a way to have video of him supporting people breaking into stores or something. Just well, like I mean, I think 68. yeah,
0: I, I think I think uh, uh, it, we're, we're gonna see. This is actually a very key week to see how the Biden campaign wants to handle some of the like defund the police stuff. But certainly, uh, uh, we have seen the emergence of that as a wedge issue already
2: but but i mean the debate when i yeah. i'm talking about something slightly different okay in the debate trump and, and in direct address not twitter in direct addresses back and forth between the two of them whether it's on live tv or or whatever which i think would have a, a very large effect i see trump um seeking to bring biden to his level yes and, and the and the major major question is going to be from my perspective you know how biden frankly avoids that i mean the the flight path right now and i'm curious if you i think the flight path right now is for 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 biden essentially to glide in i don't see i don't see anything um except i don't see trump's path to re-election except through incredible disruption of both the way politics is structured and the way journalism is structured And so if if Biden could somehow stay out of that uh, and 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 hold together, I think he's got it. But, uh, you know, we're way out. Like the other thing is, like you said, this these may not be the biggest news stories of 2020. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think that uh, uh, there's a very like I I would I would only say this right now. We we are focusing on a lot of things that are rare to be dominant presidential election decider issues, right? We're talking about public health. We're talking about uh, you know law and order and police reform. However you want to to shade where these issues are. I if I were being a conservative better, I would bet that we return by the time election day happens to more traditional issues that tend to decide where a vote goes in voters' minds, and I think that that's traditionally stuff like the economy, especially now that there's been an economic disruption, and I think if the economy is recovering on a level that seems impressive or the Trump campaign can spin as impressive, then it's going to be hard for Biden to glide path in because uh, uh, if voters don't look at him as the steward of the economy, then I think that will be a problem and i do think he needs to establish his bona fides there well let me let me ask you if i may one a question that that
2: nobody's really talking about separate from the economy the pandemic and everything which is simply the fact of age you know we had uh-huh. bernie sanders have a heart attack we have a 78 year old democratic nominee a 73 year old incumbent president who would be the oldest president in history to take the oath of office he yep. already is the oldest president yep. he'll be the oldest president plus four um you know, uh, uh, and we know Hillary Clinton's health uh, became an issue. Do you, do you, does that, is that in any sense?
0: I think, I think First it's, of all, I don't
2: see anybody talking about it. Oh, and I, do you think that will play out in next I think
0: months? it's the reason why the Trump campaign is going to end every, has and will end every ad with Biden looking in declining mental health. I think that is, that is their fail safe. Their fail safe is whether or not you hate Trump do you trust Biden more in the economy? And do you trust Biden to actually be a functioning person? Like they are going to, they're going to out and out paint him as somebody in advanced mental decline. And I think that that's a, that, that is playing on, on the age issue, obviously. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I do think that this is, oh man, it's, 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 I've I've hesitated to even like try to play this out because things are so in flux. And like, you know, I was waiting until things had kind of calmed down with the coronavirus before there were international uh protests and riots, and we had conversations about you know of uh, uh, the active duty military shooting live rounds into the protesters like that was mainstream political conversation that got a, you know the, the 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 New York Times op-ed chief fired or resigned like this is just strange days and and I I I have a hard time even pinning down where where true north is going to be within a month let alone by the time that uh, November rolls around And you you know what's making it so much
2: harder and more difficult for for people who really love to follow this stuff is the algorithms in the social media, right? I mean, I'm not even sure I'm not sure how much what I'm reading on Twitter is reflective of where I live, which is the Maine's second congressional district. You know, we went Obama twice, then Trump. My congressman went from a Republican to a Democrat in 2018. Uh, You know, Trump was just here last week at the Guilford Swab Factory. This is an incredible area in play incredible. And my Twitter feed and I try to read a ton of right and left, including both never trumpers at the dispatch and full trumpers, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I try to really I try to really keep an eye on what's going on. It does not match up to the street signs I'm seeing here in Maine Congressional District 2, and which I must say is very surprising to me. I see by far and it's not even close, many many more tr- to the point that on Memorial Day, they all put up uh Trump lawn signs. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen a single Biden sign, and I, 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 you know, I, I, I think it must be coordinated because for all of it to come out on Memorial Day specifically um, was very strange. So, in other words, the, I'm, I'm sure the Trump uh, campaign notified people, hey, on this day, put your signs up. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to me, and it's sort of a, you know, again, it's a reality check versus Twitter versus the real world I'm driving around in.
0: Well, I mean, look, Brad Parscale is running the Trump campaign. He was their Facebook guy before. Uh, I, I think it's hard to argue that regardless of what is happening in the world and the performance of either candidates, that if you were going to just handicap the organizations and say, which, are more, which of these two machines is more likely to be advantaged by the fact that there's zero physical campaigning, therefore also reducing the ability for the traveling press and mass media to create narratives, because that's normally what happens when people are on the road, it would have to be the Trump campaign, the, the one run by the new media person, as opposed to the Biden campaign, which is, you know, uh, turned over leadership at least once publicly.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, in that sense, it's an interesting question between the two, but I keep thinking that, you know, who does polarization help? Polarization helps the polarized, it helps the far left yeah, and it helps the far right. And it's why Trump was more afraid of Sanders than Biden. And I kind of think, and I, I don't know, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a captive of my Twitter feed and driving around. My reality <laughs> might be wrong, but I kind of think that the polarized ends are not going to decide the election. I kind of think the sleepy Joe Biden middle is much more influential and important. So I think and I, I say this from the left, too, by the way, I, yeah, I you yeah. know, what happened with that New York Times with that New York Times editorial page and all those kind of things. Uh, institutions on the left are helped by polarization right now. Institutions on the right, meaning, you know, for the reelection and incumbency are helped by polarization. And I think that really skews our perspective on what is the middle, where is the middle and what is the middle? And I'm not, you know, being Nixonian silent majority here. No, I, no, don't, no. I don't think it's necessarily conservative. As a matter of fact, I'd, I'd argue Obama captured the middle. Obama won more votes than any president in American history. Obama captured the middle, uh, uh, more effectively than any president in my lifetime.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that, Obviously, the the realities of our presidential electoral process mean that there are going to be a select group of people in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, and and certain elements of the of of the Northeast that uh, or, or swing areas like yours that will decide this election. The question is, what scares them and what animates them, and and in Trump's case, the question is also. Are there elements of Joe Biden that make parts of his, uh, uh, you know, count on it electorate stay home? Are there are there people that otherwise would have turned out that that don't want to? And certainly I'm I am a captive of my social media feed too. much of my social media feed is very progressive. And to listen to them, there is a leg of that count on it uh, bedrock Democratic stool that is not going to show up because they hate Joe Biden so much.
2: Interesting. That's, you know, and uh, there's a political scientist at the University of Maine who's pretty well known named Amy Freed, Dr. Amy Freed, and and she has always argued that that's not reality, that that, that's one of the biggest discrepancies between Twitter, that in fact it is the African-American, the mobilized African-American vote in South Carolina and around America that put Biden over. And that, in, in fact, if you were to extrapolate from the primaries to the national election, he is the best bet for the Obama, even though Buttigieg had all the obama people well he is the yeah best except except that.
0: except the black voters
2: right <laughs> <laughs> no i mean the the management the, the right, management the sure yeah right, right but um but yeah she argues that 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 if you follow twitter too much in progressive politics you miss the fact that the data is showing you the data is showing you that he is the uh, the most popular and enthusiastic candidate of the african-american community and he was through the primary session and he will be in the general election and so she actually uh, uh, differs in that sense between sort of the white progressive and the African-American. And, and she she backs it up with a ton of data.
0: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think that there's I don't think that there's yeah. much to argue that, uh, uh, you know, the, the specifically older black voters very much preferred Joe Biden. Um, and And you did see that in South Carolina. The question is, you know, where does that turn out in the states where you need it? And...
2: Right, right. One thing you mentioning the states where you need it—that's fascinating to me, and I'm curious on uh, your take on this. Is okay. So let's say Arizona is gone because McSally is a disaster, and let's say Michigan, <laughs> yeah. and let's say Michigan's gone because coronavirus hit Detroit at a level. Yeah, and you've seen the numbers out of Michigan. right? yeah. It's, yeah. it's totally separating from Pennsylvania, Ohio, and the others. So where, where, if we move, remove those two, where are you looking at?
0: Oh, I haven't even, to be totally honest, like I have not even, I, I have, I have, I have not been to, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the map websites to uh, fill in my own puzzle board just yet. Just because I have, I mean, uh, to be totally honest, Mike, like I, I just don't know where we're going to be in a month. Like I, I, I don't know whether or not, you know, like right now, Michigan specifically, like, let's say that, uh, uh yeah, it, it hit. Detroit really, really hard. And maybe that animates uh, uh, the the black voters in Detroit, which really, really can help sway Michigan. And maybe there is animus on the right uh, against Gretchen Whitmer and for Trump that activates the, the voters that won him that state last time on a level that we had heretofore not seen. So. I I just – I simply don't know, and I I don't know whether or not as we are going through this time tunnel and our compasses are going wild, whether or not it's stopping briefly on one thing is really going to matter much in a month, let alone four months or five months when this actually matters.
2: Yeah, and and when you put it in that frame, I agree with you, and I think that's what's making journalism so brutally difficult right now. It's – nobody knows – how to scale the news we're seeing it seems like massive news the coronavirus the uh, the economy going down the economy coming back the the press conference the president has everything seems like a titanic news story every day and so what you're saying makes a lot of sense if we if we extrapolate it out you can't have titanic news stories daily for six months
0: oh don't say it mike don't say it mike 2020 will take it as a challenge (laughs) no no but my point is Let's
2: say we go to war with China over the virus. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Th- then that will make the discussion you and I are having today, uh, it'll obviate it, right? Because figuring out the coronavirus' effect on Michigan relative to a global uh, world war, it, it, that's what I mean when I say we can't scale the Titanic news for six months without knowing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's and that's the other thing is that there is one element that is is now a bipartisan clear issue, which is anti China. Like uh, uh, there's a reason why both Trump and Biden have tried to tie each other to China in political advertising, because uh, uh, both Democrats and Republicans have increasingly sour feelings toward the country. And the question then becomes, OK, well. Who is who gets credit for that? Because you can make a credible argument for and against both candidates.
2: So I've I've given you two gigantic news stories, the health of the candidates, you know, a yeah. heart attack, a coronavirus attack, something like that occurring. Uh, I've given you and the second one I've given you is a war. Can you? Do you have some uh, creative or imaginative ideas? Oh my <laughs>
0: God, I don't want to speak good, this evil into the world, <laughs> Mike. Oh, I, I mean, that that, that can, that'll
2: scale out what we're currently living through. That
0: can outpace it. I mean, the the <laughs> the biggest thing would be just a sustained hardcore economic downturn. That yeah. that that to me dooms Trump. Like if if we are looking at. Great Depression levels, like sustained Great Depression level unemployment and and stuff like that, and we see key and we see core breakdowns of, uh, of the average way that people can live, and and certainly that is highlighted by things like looting and riots. Uh, then I think that that element is is just a death sentence for a Trump re election, uh, and at this point, who knows. Who knows? If I mean, we if, if we if we move down that track, what do you see
2: Trump doing? Like, uh, like I'll give you an example. Tweeting. I Trump. <laughs> I, I don't think he. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he he declares war. But I do think he. I think if what you're saying is true, and the economy is terrible, and he's in Jimmy Carter range of thirty five percent. Yeah. And it's really it's very very clear he's not going to be elected. I think he drops pence. And I think he he puts somebody on the ticket. He figures out a way to put somebody on the ticket uh, for energy.
0: I I don't, I know. don't know. I mean, I, I think that there is a counterbalance to Pence that I think is important. Uh, it, it's understated for his candidacy because uh, as as wild as those press conferences were during the the thick of the coronavirus, there was a little bit of uh, uh sugar and spice that I think did help both of them, that even, you know, Pence looked better when Trump fought with the press, right? He would fight with the press, and he would call somebody bad at their job and awful, and then Pence would get up there, and Pence, who was somebody that has a very low Q rating amongst the chattering class, would be praised. It was like, oh, look at that. Pence looks so much better. I do think that that's important for his... For for the Trump re-election campaign, that there is somebody that's like, oh, well, look at that. That's the guy. In the same way that we gave Cuomo oh so much uh, uh, press attention for literally just being a guy that speaks at an even-tempered <laughs> volume on camera every day, uh, I think mm-hmm. Pence was important for the Trump re-election thing. So I don't know. I don't know about him getting ditched, uh, but I do think maybe. I mean. Trump would be more the kind of politician that would go for, like, big government bailouts or shoring up of things economically. Like, it is more Mitch McConnell that wants to hold the the financial reins than Trump. If Trump had a, a, a very pliant uh, Senate leader in, in a way that it seems like they're, they're hot and cold, McConnell and Trump— uh, I think we would have seen more economic relief up to this point, and if it gets worse, I think that that would be something that would be a priority for him.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really great point, and it, and it does make me think that every now and then Trump does stumble into a left a uh, position that's more embraced by the left than the right. Like uh, when he attacked Colin Powell yesterday. Yeah. Uh, he attacked he attacked the Iraq War. Yes. He said Colin Powell lied. Colin Powell lied. People died, which was the official political position of the democratic party in 2004 six and eight yeah no that was howard dean's you know? position
0: right like this <laughs> exactly. is exactly this is and uh, so, yeah
2: and to see it to see a president of the united states who, from the republican party repudiate the reason a republican started that war was kind of shocking to me but it shows he has like you say this idea of of a giant relief package he has some kind of um instinctual political instinct that's not that's not terrible that's not completely i won't say terrible it is terrible but it's not completely ineffective
0: oh i mean look he became president (laughs) like that's like that's when everyone's like oh he's an idiot he has no idea what he's doing it's like do you know how many people like wreck their lives from like from puberty to to try to become president and he did the opposite of everything that they would do and then became president. Like, you, you should doubt his political instincts at your peril.
2: Yeah, except except we've been reading for years that they've, he's been reined in. His success is because he hires the right people, Bannon or Pascal or whatever. In other words, we've been reading that he's successful despite himself.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much I buy that. I, think I, that, no, no, I, yeah. I agree with you, by the way, yeah.
2: but that's what people say.
0: Yeah, I, I I think he he is somebody that when he has the, the the team around him, I think Bannon was very good at maximizing and saying yes to his crazy ideas in in ways that probably other people wouldn't. Uh, but like you know, uh, getting all of Bill Clinton's accusers to do a press conference before the <laughs> second debate after the Grabham tape uh, uh, came out, like I think those are very Bannony kind of ideas, uh, or at least ones that he would highlight. But other than that, I think, look, Donald Trump has a very keen political sense. The question is, can that outweigh what the media and voters that will decide this election think are his track record over the past four years? Like, I think it would have been very, it would have been very, very hard for Biden to beat him if we didn't have these crazy world-shaping events and the economy was doing well. I think that that would have been hard for Biden to win. Now? I mean, again, we'll see what happens when we come out of the time tunnel.
2: And and what you just described is the classic frame, right? He was the outsider who won in 2016, now he's the incumbent, right? He can't yeah. drain the swamp anymore. He can't talk about draining the swamp. He can't he can't indict Washington. I mean, he's going to try.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's that's that was the ObamaGate stuff. The ObamaGate stuff was Hey, look, if you think that I'm a chaos agent, can we please relitigate the Russia investigation now that it's over and I didn't get impeached and there wasn't a smoking gun that I'm, you know, uh, getting uh, uh, cables from Moscow for my marching orders? Like uh, uh, that, that, that I think was his version of drain the swamp was, uh, can we please give me four years where I'm not being hamstrung by the deep state? That was his pitch. Anyway, all right. Uh, we already went we long, but this was a great conversation. Uh, uh, um, Michael Sokolow, of course, you are an associate professor in the Department of Communication and Journalism at the University of Maine. You're also a media historian who writes frequently about politics, the press. And next month, you will become the director of the University of Maine Humanities Center. Uh, Michael, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Great. Thank you. Have a great day. Politics. All right. Let's go ahead and get into our emails. Finally, the young American at Gmail is where you can send all your feedback on the show. We compile it and every once in a while we read it. Matthew writes in finally got something else to talk about. This was when the protests started happening. This is why we can't have nice things. Damn right. Pilot X writes, Justin's remarks that the U.S. is the Karen of the world was funny. If you see Karens as questioning authority and not being satisfied easily, then yes, he's right. But I think I see the Karen thing differently. When you ask to see the manager, you're not questioning authority. You're appealing to it. You're relying on the higher authority to go along with your side. You, in fact, are exercising privilege. From that perspective, Europe brings out its managers in force. Ask Facebook and Google about this. There's obviously no right or wrong answer to this, but that was my train of thought after that joke, and I thought I'd share it for whatever it's worth. Well, Pilot X, whomever you might be, that's obviously wrong. There is a right and wrong answer to it, and you're wrong. History will judge you as wrong. Because America is obviously the Karens of the world and Europe is very obviously the Stacies of the world. Tight ponytail, over-organized, a lot of binders, schedules that conflict with other schedules that they made to make sure that their schedules coincided. Europe's the we're the Karens. It's just a fact. Michael writes, I'm sure you've been watching coverage. I've seen coverage of uh, Minneapolis, Louisville, Atlanta, L.A. and the Bay Area. It looks like mostly pure chaos and it's young testosterone driven adrenaline mixed with a lot of agitator anarchist trouble, plus opportunistic looting, plus actual message protesters uh, speaking for the justice that George Floyd should receive. Plus a lot of gawkers getting out of the house of their apartment, a covid coming out party. A perfect storm of COVID-induced anxiety and stir-crazy youth. Just general mob behavior heated to a red-hot lava with generational frustration. Never been more disgusted to see all the jerks recording it with their smartphones. Just as much white-privileged president as black anger. As I said, a perfect storm of COVID, lockdown, economic distress, and pent-up black anger. You know, it's hard to argue with the ingredients of the goulash, uh, Michael, But it does bring up something that I do want to address, and this is this pre-argument that has already had the tracks laid down, and we're starting to see it now. COVID rates are spiking in many states. We will see exactly what that means, whether or not it is a sustained spike or a bump that comes along with just more people being outside. However... The narratives are now being unleashed of who caused the spike. Was it the reopening of the economy? Was it the protesters? Was it both? Was it the people in the pool in the land of the Ozarks? Was it everybody that was screaming and chanting for George Floyd? I will probably not surprise many of you when I say, I hate this. I hate it. I hate it. And if you're doing it, please stop. Please, for God's sakes. Like, people need jobs. Businesses would like to stay open. They are going to push to do so. Protesters want to get out there and have their message spread. The issue isn't that either exists, it's that we have to do both as safe as possible. For God's sakes, people, not everything can be a Facebook war. We spend so much time talking about the what and when. What should be allowed? When should we be able to do it? That we've totally skipped the how. And it's the only question we should be paying attention to. How? How can we do this as best as possible? If you are going to go protest, then please wear a mask. If you are going to open your business, then please try to do it in the safest way possible. If the governments aren't going to take point on this, and boy howdy have we seen a deficiency of leadership from the top to the bottom on so much of the how, then please, we can only organize it ourselves, and the more we're running to our safe spaces, the blame game positions that reinforce our own political belief, the less we are helping each other in the middle of a pandemic! Carl writes, I was catching up on the news about the civil unrest that's been popping up across the country, and I guess this is the rioting that you were worried would happen. Or do you think that this is separate from the COVID-19 situation? Would this be the same if we hadn't been locked up for two months and lost our jobs? Uh, no, this was pretty much it. I, in my head, I, I didn't want to speak this evil into the world, but in my head, I thought that a police situation would touch off the issues mostly because when things are closed, they need to be closed with authority. When things need to be closed with authority, police are the authority. When people are frustrated and out of work, there's natural tension. And I just kind of figured it'd be law of averages that at some point a situation would happen. Now, I think the vile nature of this particular George Floyd situation is unique. Didn't see that one coming. But when I kept saying that the only thing worse than a pandemic is a riot in a pandemic. Yeah, that that was that was about what I was thinking. Oklahoma Randy said a few weeks ago, you asked Twitter. What's the thing that you hate the most about politics? Like many people, I'm sure I thought, well, I hate it all. I didn't figure that was contributing much, so I didn't reply to your free-form poll. This morning, though, it hit me like a 53-year-old I'm-back Mike Tyson. What's the thing I hate more than anything in politics? The straw man. It caricatures the other side and engenders animosity. It kills debate. It removes rationality. And worst of all, it's everywhere. Here are just a few of my favorites. I plan to vote for Biden. Ah, you must hate America. As one who loves freedom like me and hates your plan to go full communist, I will be voting for Trump. Oh, well then, I plan to vote for Trump. ah You must be a Nazi! Or perhaps simply a garden-variety racist. I don't want to reinstate Jim Crow laws. Thank you, I'll be voting for Biden. Well, I think businesses should stay closed until it's safer. I see. So you must want to watch people starve. Well, I, for one, plan to feed my kids. You heartless son of a bitch. Well, I think businesses should reopen then. We just have to be careful. We can't stay closed forever. Oh, I get it. Say you want to kill the elderly. Well, I love my grandma, you selfish jerk. We probably shouldn't be locking kids in cages. At the border? Oh, well, uh, maybe we should just make it easier to import more drugs and rapists. I think we have enough of both, thank you. Well, We should at least know who's coming into the country. Uh, somebody who isn't a raging xenophobe. I'm gonna stop your literal race barrier, bigot. I hope that nuance isn't completely dead, but I can't say that I'm optimistic. The more that our politicians and pundits embrace straw men, the worse this is all likely to get. i listen to more PX3, but I don't get my news from libtards or cuckservatives or whatever you are, you hairy bastard. Oklahoma Randy, I'm just going to leave that one stand the way it is. Thank you so much for writing in. Ken writes, In my experience, partisanship is very much alive and well in Canada. Perhaps it's difficult to see from Toronto, but... Canada is very divided at the moment. Perhaps the things we disagree on are different from the partisan hot potatoes in the, in the U.S., but you see very clear divisions in the results of our last federal elections. Sure, we may not have a clearly defined Fox News, CNN, MSN, MSNBC dichotomy. However, I live in a rural town, the rural town that Jared uh, Kiso came from and based his show Letterkenny on. As a former city slicker Canadian who lives now in the sticks and commutes to Waterloo, at least I used to pre-social isolation, Waterloo is sometimes referred to as Canada's Silicon Valley, home of Blackberry, and is willing to drive far and wide for comedy gigs, my social media straddles two very different worlds. Both sides are extreme, close-minded, and very annoying, just like everywhere else. Canadians, they're just like us. Pablo writes in, now hear me out. I know many people think Joe Biden's going to be choosing a more established and possibly African-American female candidate for his V. However, given the current social upheaval, I'm not sure how wise it would be to choose a black candidate with such close ties to the police like Harris or Deming's. I mean, you said it yourself months ago on PX3. The reason that Kamala didn't get closer to the nomination is because African-American voters saw her as the police rather than a senator fighting for their rights. I've recently seen her trying to change her image on the Daily in her latest interviews. But at this point, I think it's a little too late. Kamala isn't the right choice, and Val is literally the police. So, my proposal... JLo. Per CNN, Hispanics are the largest majority in the United States. The media likes to flip it between blacks and Hispanics per whatever story is convenient, and of course, it even gets more complicated considering Hispanics can be counted as white, black, mixed, etc. Nonetheless, we all have one thing in common our deep and affectionate love for Jennifer Lopez. Per YouGov.com, Jennifer is the third most popular living pop artist. She's popular with both baby boomers and millennials and is known by 98% of all Americans. Not only that, only 15% of Americans have a negative opinion of J.Lo. Do you know what Trump would do for those numbers? Probably dump Pence if he could. Plus, she's only 50. It solves the age issue that we've been running against with almost everybody except Kamala. J. Lo is not only popular among Hispanics. Some might say she's America's true sweetheart. That will have everyone come masked and running to vote for Joe Biden this November. This might be the rambling of a madman, but I truly feel that J. Lo might have a shot. Pablo, thank you so much for writing in. I totally agree with you, and I'm backing this play if just to see Alex Rodriguez in the White House. And finally, here's something we haven't done for a while. Something that we haven't had to break out in a little bit. A lot of new listeners to this show. Many might not even be familiar with it. We're breaking out the angry email voice. Half normal, right? I just listened to your PX3 podcast on the police and cannot believe you've become another white apologist! Yes. There are problems within the police community, but I have not heard a single conservative support the actions of the officers involved in that incident. What I find interesting is that you pointed out that the police union made it difficult to take care of the bad apples, but did not point out that unions support Democratic politicians overwhelmingly over Republicans. I would like to see you go along with the police for a couple weeks not just a day ride, to see what they actually do and how the general public treats them. My brother was never the same after being on the force, and his son is now the captain of the Seal Beach Police Department. I know the rest of the story. Why don't you get upset about the thousands of children who die of abuse every year? Oh, wait. Not political. I guess that the majority of abused children comes from some specific social-economic group doesn't count. Why don't you get upset about the hundreds of thousands of people who are killed or severely injured every year by incompetent medical care? Not political? I've not heard about medical reform in America in a while. You say you're a political pundit, but when you just espouse your brand of politics instead of reporting politics, where are the conservative black voices in all of this? If you don't like to hear from us old white folks, here's an angry black woman who I think you need to hear. And then he sent me a link to the Candace Owens video about why she does not uh, believe that George Floyd is a martyr If you're interested, then I would uh, encourage you to watch it. Uh, I would not call her angry. In fact, half normal. I would find that to be a little offensive. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm joking with you. Uh, Okay. So where to start here? I don't quite know where a lot of this is coming from. Uh, You know, it's not my job to advocate for one side or the other. Uh, I took great pains to make sure that the police brutality episode that I did was not on political lines. And as we are finding out this week, both parties in Congress, at the very least, are pushing for police reforms that are largely in line with what I was talking about on Wednesday. The reason why I talked about what I talked about on Wednesday and I talked about it in the way that I talked about it was because I think this stuff is too important for partisan politics. The reforms I settled on talking about, I genuinely believed ideologically had the broadest band support. Now, I I could be wrong. I could have articulated the message poorly. And if that's the case, then that's something that I can take as a note. And I can work harder as a communicator going forward. My point with the police brutality episode was not to say that we have a political problem, but rather I I made it very clear this was outside of my realm because we weren't talking about campaigns and campaigns are really what I'm mostly focused on. But I did feel like it was important to talk about. And if one part of this program that people seem to enjoy the most Is a lack of partisanship in the way that I discuss things, then I felt that this issue was worthwhile to look at. As for my opinion personally toward police, I don't know how many times I can say it, but I'll say it as many times as people need to hear it. I have maximum respect. And I demand maximum accountability. And I, I I I am honest with you when I say that I mean both. I very much mean both. Maximum respect remains. Not a lot of people, even through all this, when when so many police departments uh, uh, have been stretched thin, they they have to work on on days they would normally be off. Skip. Uh, events, birthdays, whatever. They have to put their lives on pause because there are protests and riots and looting in their cities. They are exhausted and they feel that they are disrespected. And then they still have to go take a call where they might get shot. Maximum respect. But where I think we have a disconnect and again, I, I laid this out as as clearly as I could on Wednesday is the accountability. And I mean that on the most minute levels. That the more the public has a sense of what the police are doing, the better that they feel about it. I don't think it always has to be a ride along, although that would be the most visceral example. I think it's just understanding what happens In the disciplinary process, I think it just means that when a certain officer has multiple complaints filed against them for things that the public seems to think are over the line, that it's the public that takes action against that officer or demands that officer's resignation or refuses to let that officer get hired at the next police station... Because I do think it's, it's a hard position to put police in themselves. If they're reporting within their own department, they don't know who shows up the next time that they need to call for backup. This is a burden the public can take on. This is a connection point that the public can have with police. Accountability demands and breeds understanding. And understanding is the foundation for which a relationship can be built. The reason why I'm attracted to some of these ideas is because these are larger political ideals for me. I hate secrecy. I hate things that are kept away from us for our own good. And when I look at the fractured relationship we have between citizens and police, I can't help but feel that that would be part of the step forward. And I like using the angry email voice. You didn't ask me for it half normal, so if you if you want to say that I'm mocking you, that's probably fair criticism. But it was a pretty angry email. So I'm sorry. Which I guess makes me a white apologist. <laughs> All right, everybody. That about wraps it up for us today. I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier. Middle age Mike Chad Dallas Danger Taylor, your boy Craig, Zachy Chan, Triplefilm.com, Nick, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, D laser, Captain Bunzo, Frozen Summer, Emily, Wolf Glenn 99, Berkeley, Steven, The Gen, NH Blumkin. Robert, Eoxy, DL, Andrew, Archie, Brad, Brian, Daily Tech News Show, Darren Dustin, I Pooped My Pants. J. Milius, Jonathan, Lindsay, Logan, MacBook Pro, Miranda, Nick, Nomadic. Uh, Olin and Angela, Richard, Thor, and Zach. You want to join their ranks? You head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. dot com. You want to follow me on social media at Justin R. Young. But honestly, if any of you guys are listening to this and you have not signed up for the free political newsletter, what the hell are you waiting for? It's free. It's political. It's a newsletter. Five days a week, five stories a day, the best comments that you're going to read about the news, you will find in the Free Political Newsletter. It is its own strange and amazing community that I am so proud of. Uh, so go ahead and head over there. Free Political Newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Till next time, is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics, and still more, man. They're out here talking about politics, but this is the only show that dares to speak about. Oh! Oh!